You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. On today's episode, we have Nyasha Gutsa. Nyasha is the co-founder and CEO of Billy. Billy is an insurance platform uh, for uh, con- the construction industry. Uh, it's a really cool story. Nyasha came to America from Zimbabwe when he was 17 years old, started working in the construction industry, and has basically spent his whole life just trying to figure out how to make things easier um, for the business world, specifically in the construction space. Uh, fun fact, Nyasha worked with us at Occupier for a year. Uh, prior to that, he was at WeWork and Procore, so he's got some deep expertise into the challenges that uh, the construction world faces with respect to insurance. Uh, let's get into it. All right, cool. Nyasha, welcome to the Fully Occupied Show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Mac, for having me. Yeah, no worries. We're recording this um, episode uh, less than a week after Niyasha and I spent some time in beautiful Las Vegas for the Blueprint Conference, and it was great to see you in person, and wonderful timing for having you on the show here. Yeah, absolutely, and I hope you have recovered from Las Vegas. I have. I, I did not, um, you know, I didn't I didn't uh, indulge myself too much there. I'm not a big gambler or whatever, so it was a, it was a pretty, pretty tame trip for me. <laughs> um. Well, thanks for joining the show. Uh, congrats on all the success that you've had with Billy so far. Why don't you just give us some background on yourself and you know, kind of walk us through what got you into entrepreneurship and how you landed on you know what you're working on today with with Billy. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is uh, Nyasha, and I was born and raised in Zimbabwe. I came to the U.S. to go to school uh, at the age of uh, seventeen. And I first started working in construction as a laborer uh, at the old Yankee Stadium, mostly destroying concrete and saving the old seats so they could be refurbished and put into the new Yankee Stadium. And somehow I ended up working at a company called Plaza Construction in what we call the plan room. And this is where people print drawings uh, way back before we had iPads and you could see construction drawings on there. And my job was to carry the drawing and uh, give it to subcontractors who would come and do what we call bidding. So back then, if you believe it or not, it was, uh, somebody would come, grab the drawing, grab a piece of uh, measuring um, tape, and then they would uh, submit their bid in an envelope and they'll give it to what's called an estimator and they'll plug in their numbers into an Excel sheet. That's how uh, construction offices worked high tech uh, back then. Um, Years went by and I found myself working at a company called Procore in Santa Barbara, which was digitizing all office operations for a construction company. So Procore is a publicly listed construction tech company that does uh, project management for construction companies. So think of them as the operating system for commercial uh, companies. And my role there was essentially to take my experience in working for large companies like Plaza and building financial systems for construction uh, companies. So I made a little niche for myself, uh, digitizing uh, office processes they had from how you sign a contract, for example, 
how you manage a budget on a construction project so you don't have to use uh, Excel, how you change the contract itself, which they call change orders, uh, all the way into how people get paid on a construction project. Um, after my career at uh, Procore, I ended up at WeWork, where I was running a team that was trying to digitize how, how you create a budget virtually as soon as a lease is signed. Uh, because back at that time, WeWork was essentially one of the largest construction companies. But what most people didn't know is that this company was actually run using a lot of uh, Word documents and Excel. And we were just trying to digitize the process of knowing how much it's going to cost to do uh, a build down. Um, after my time there, this is where I ended up at Occupier. And I really learned a lot more about um, you know how leases work. Uh, how they are managed with, you know, companies that get into a lease all the way into things like ASC 842, so lease management. But the most important thing on my side was how do you actually go from zero to one? Because prior to that, I'd only worked for big companies that had uh, big brands. So it's really easy to make software that you can launch within a big brand because almost everybody's going to use it. But if you're not well known, then there's a lot more that goes into it, which is you as the product manager are actually one of the first salespersons for the software that you're trying to make. So that's where I spent time at uh, Occupier, learning a lot more about you know, what goes into launching a product, what actually means uh, go to market. And we started uh, Billy essentially as a company that wanted to process payments for construction. but in our uh, attempt to go live, we realized that if you use payment facilitators such as uh, Stripe, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, but for really large amounts of money in construction, a check is still faster than using a payment facilitator such as Adyen or Stripe. So this was not going to be a really big business uh, for us. And we kind of went back to our roots, which is uh, construction and talked to many construction companies who were saying that insurance is still a problem uh, for them. And when we talk of insurance in construction, we're talking of how you buy insurance and how you manage it. So we're just creating a really smooth way for construction companies to have transparency in uh, their purchasing process for insurance and also how to manage all these workflows that are related to insurance uh, on a construction project. Cool. So you started off with one idea, which seemed really big and then kind of had to pivot or evolve through talking to customers as to like, okay, where, where are the bigger pain points? And it landed on insurance. So in insurance, um, what's the biggest problem? Is it procuring the insurance, like understanding what you're getting that you're paying for? Is it managing all like the covenants and dates and, you know, coverage limits that are in the insurance? Is it all of the above? would kind of pick apart like if i'm building a building i'm on a, I'm a general contractor what type of insurance do i need why is it important to me and like what are all the stumbling blocks that i might run in, run into yeah so I'll just give an example to the audience and something they can relate to uh, let's just say you're renovating your kitchen or you I'm bought doing a house that right now it's brutal <laughs> Yeah. So when, when you renovate uh, something, not only hiring a contractor, is like, it's like a pain, but if you're borrowing money from a bank, they're going to require you to uh, 
um, purchase insurance as part of that loan. Typically, they'll ask you to have something that's known as builder's risk. Uh, so builder's risk is essentially the uh, insurance policy for your lender. Because if you think about it, when a construction project is going on, like your home renovation, the traditional insurance that you have, homeowner's insurance, doesn't actually apply to uh, a a home that's under construction or a commercial project that's under construction. So the bank needs to have some kind of security on their financial investment. And builder's risk covers insurance of the property while it's under construction. So most people don't realize that when you're doing a home renovation, you should ask the contractor if they're carrying uh, builder's risk because it is required by the lender in the event that if something bad happens like a fire or a flood your traditional insurance is not going to cover uh, the home uh, itself so that's the first policy that's required from the lender and owner perspective and sometimes in that loan agreement the lender may stipulate things such as the general contractor has to have general liability and general liability protects you from you know, people's hurt feelings from advertisements or people get hurt on the job site. If you're carrying materials, for example, uh, your suppliers need to carry commercial automobile. So if somebody has an accident and they were carrying your supplies on it and you were named as the project owner, but that person didn't have insurance, that risk will transfer from that supplier all the way to the owner. That's the reason why you need commercial auto for all your uh, contractors. Then there's umbrella insurance and workers' comp insurance. So workers' comp is required by every state if you have more than one employee. Uh, so you're required to have workers' comp to protect your workers in the event that they get hurt on the construction project. So if you think of a construction project, you hire this contractor to renovate your home. One of the issues is, well, how do they know all these other people that are working on site? Because it's not just one contractor, but it could be many. How do they know that they have insurance? So today they rely on email. Mm -hmm. They rely on, on phone calls and also Excel. And what we did here at Billy was just create a workflow tool that helps manage who has insurance and who doesn't have insurance. It, does the follow-ups for you automatically. It stores the documents in one place. So when you do get audited, which you do at least once or twice a year for your general liability and workers' comp, the insurance uh, carriers don't have to come into your office and you don't have thick binders that just contain your insurance. Everything is just neatly in one place. Um, and then for those that don't have insurance or need education for their insurance, because that's one other big thing uh, that we try to help the construction industry with, we do free insurance reviews. So that way you can understand the value your carriers are bringing to your company or the value that we as a licensed brokerage can uh, bring with many other carriers for your business as well. Um, so, so in essence, yeah, go for it. Oh, finish your thought there. You were going to wrap up. Yeah, so in essence, it's more of uh, two things. Insurance education is really hard on a construction project. And then dealing with the paperwork itself is another challenge that most people face. Yep. And you mentioned right at the end that you're an insurance carrier. So how, how does that work? Is there, what is the business model behind that? Are you, um, are you an insurance broker? Are you connecting 
contractors or owners with the, the right carriers. Talk a little bit about that uh, side of the business. Yeah, absolutely. So we are a licensed insurance brokerage in all 50 states, and we provide advice on uh, carriers that we represent. So we represent now more than 30 insurance carriers that cover anything from a building that's uh, needing construction from ground up all the way to commercial landlords that need insurance for their property uh, as well. Now, the value that we bring as a brokerage, uh, as I mentioned, is providing education on the carriers that we provide, but we also provide a uh, software for construction companies and also landlords that want to manage insurance for their tenants. Got it. Okay. So if I'm like a landlord and, you know, I have 50 tenants in an office building, I need to know that they have a certificate of insurance on, you know, on file or whatever, you can help them manage all of those different policies on behalf of their tenants. Yeah, absolutely. So most commercial leases will have a clause, for example, that says uh, the tenant is required to carry at a minimum general liability. And this is just to cover if you get hurt on the premises um, or your customer comes, especially let's say at restaurants, they come, they get hurt. Um, this is just a policy that will cover uh, such an incident uh, as well. So we have a tool that helps uh, the landlord check if their tenants have the right insurance, um, as opposed to just relying on emails and then storing those documents in a Dropbox, for example. Got it. And I would imagine since you're representing the carriers and you're the, a broker, you, you have access to all this information. So it's pretty easy to just synthesize it into one digestible format rather than having to chase down a ton of documentation um, and parse that information out of it. Is that accurate to say? Yeah. So the, what this software does is it uh, essentially parses through what we call the certificate of insurance, which is what you get from your insurance uh, broker. And we're able to tell the tenant if the tenant is uh, meeting the insurance requirements of the landlord. If they don't, then we automate the communication between the tenants and the landlords to rectify the situation, which in most cases involves uh, getting in touch with the correct insurance agent. So they can either add or remove some endorsements that the tenant, uh, the landlord is looking for. And so an insurance endorsement is just uh, a change in the policy. Uh, so some might be looking for increased limits or the policy to do something specific uh, to protect the landlord. Yeah, that's actually really cool. Cause like you could, I mean, I would imagine it's kind of like a commercial lease. You sign, you, you, you sign the insurance policy and then you just kind of forget about it. You're like, Oh, I have insurance, but sometimes things might come up in the course of doing business that requires greater limits or different types of insurance. So you could quickly query and understand, Oh, I can cover, I have coverage for this or I don't. And if I do, if I don't, then you're there to say, okay, yeah, we can hook you up with the carrier and then you can get that, you know, additional insurance. We, we deal, we deal with that all the time at our company because certain customers want us to carry certain types of insurance, um, that cover things that might go wrong with the software or, you know, cybersecurity and stuff like that. So that's super interesting. It seems like it's a very overlooked aspect of the construction industry because everyone's probably always focused on just driving costs down and getting jobs done. But the insurance piece is just, it seems like an afterthought, but it could probably, it's probably fraught with risk. Like what are some of the 
what are the, some of the major things that can go wrong if like you're not carrying the right insurance or you don't have it or if you just don't know about it or it lapses or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, a big one that I like to talk about is let's say you wake up in the morning and your computer screen is blue and it's telling you to go to some adult boutique to go buy Bitcoin um, because you've been ransomware. What are you going to do? Right. So uh, cyber insurance is very important to have because there is a cyber attack that happens almost one every 40 seconds. And it's one pandemic that this country is not talking about the most, but it's something that affects our infrastructure, our defense systems, and especially construction is the second most hacked industry after lawyers and accountants. And they're twice as like, likely to get hacked than any other business just because their infrastructure is not as secure. Uh, so, so most of them say they don't do work on the internet and they exist in the built environment and they still have on-premise software. And those are the types of companies that are targeted with uh, you know, ransomware uh, attackers. And an attack is not as simple as, hey, somebody in their basement is just going to send you malware. In most cases, you're dealing, for example, with the North Korean government, the government of Iran or you know, Russia, uh, for example, where these attacks are so sophisticated um, to the point where, you know, in some cases, you can go on the dark web and actually buy that ransomware. And they call this service like ransomware as a service or ROS, where you can buy ransomware and actually orchestrate an attack. Um, and they are just essentially providing you the infrastructure to, to do that. And the average ransomware itself is close to three quarters of a million. So they lock up your files. You have no access to your accounting system. So you don't know who you owe money to for example, or how much you're owed, you can't use your project managements uh, like Procore because every workstation is pretty much uh, locked uh, as well. So your teams essentially are just sitting in the field doing absolutely nothing because you have no access to your drawings. You don't know how much you're, you're owed. So it can cripple and put a company out of business just not having cyber insurance. So what does cyber insurance do for these companies, uh, not only construction, but even uh, property owners, it helps you find a ransomware negotiator because you're going to need a person to, to talk to them, right? It also helps you find forensic uh, engineers. These guys have to come in and examine every system you have because with a cyber attack, especially ransomware, it's not just one attack you have to care about. Sometimes they leave malware in your system that can be reactivated in the future. So. They tend to come back in multiple waves and extort you uh, many different times. So getting those experts in to help you determine which systems have been impacted is going to cost you loads of money. Uh, additionally, you also have to work with companies like Everfax to notify everybody who's been impacted with a breach because it's required by almost every state that you do that. And that can cost you close to half a million. And this is not including the interruption that you have internally with your teams and also externally with your customers uh, as well. So that's just one scenario of, you know, something bad that could happen with, you know, a cyber threat. There are other things that, that can happen to that we can jump deeper into, such as your contractor is not carrying, let's say, automobile insurance and they get into an accident 
um, and the employee gets hurt or dies, you essentially would be responsible for that loss. Yeah. Yeah. So bottom line is there's a ton of risk <laughs> and there's an insurance product that covers most of it. The cyber stuff is fascinating. Um, why do you think, so I think you already answered this question, which is the construction industry, because it's so old school in the way they do things is that that is why it's the most vulnerable. Is it because they're not typically using like cloud secure clouds, uh, services that are, are less susceptible to, to cyber attacks? Yeah, so I think it's a combination of a couple of things. The, the first thing I think is uh, awareness into how vulnerable uh, contractors are to cyber threats. A lot of them say, I don't do work on the internet is what I hear a lot. But what they also don't realize is they're exposed to multiple risks through their tools, for example, that are internet enabled. Um, their software that they use to run their companies, especially the on-premise um, softwares they have where you are hosting your accounting system in a closet on a rack. And though you might have the best safe door around it, it just takes malware to go into that computer. So somebody remoting in from home on their personal computer or even their work computer, they could get infected and it ends up on your internal servers. And that's how these guys uh, are able to, to get you as well. Um, yeah. So education, um, super important for them to to know like what can happen to you, and also just you know how do they protect themselves. So multi-factor authentication, getting things like Okta uh, would be uh, very great to protect them, so that it's not as easy for people to just uh, send you malware or access your systems, um, and just basic uh, password sanitation. So. Don't use, uh, you know, passwords like Colonial1234. If you ever watched uh, the, the CEO of uh, Colonial Pipeline when he gave the press conference about how they got hacked, he was saying it wasn't a generic password like Colonial1234, but he was kind of hinting that the password was really weak that caused uh, the ransomware attack that, you know, pretty much stopped fuel flowing for the entire East Coast and kind of, you know, jacked prices up for, for us a couple of months ago. But yeah, I remember that. Yeah. That's just yeah. That's just an example of uh, you know what can uh, happen. So it's not just this big companies it's happening to. It's happening to mom and pop companies uh, all across the country. And if it does happen, and you don't have cyber insurance, you're most likely going out of business. Yeah, you hit on my next question, which was like, how, who is this important for? And obviously, the obvious answer is everybody. But as you guys are looking at scaling your company, do you have a particular target market that you're going after? Are you seeing success um, selling into the mom and pops or going, you know, top of the market down? Yeah, so we see a lot of construction techs that come to us, uh, mostly because they, they work with other construction companies who require them to have insurance and they understand why they need to get cyber insurance. For uh, larger contractors, I, I still think the jury is out to educate them on why they need uh, you know, cyber insurance. I think a lot of them end up finding out that their friend got hacked and that is kind of the precedent for them to go and get cyber insurance or get more coverage. Um, but we we ourselves haven't uh, had any success selling to larger construction companies, just smaller to mid-sized businesses that either A, understand the risk of uh, a cyber attack, 
or have experienced it um, either in that company or a previous company uh, where they don't want this scenario to happen again. Yeah, that's interesting. So you mentioned earlier when you were giving your intro, obviously we worked together for a year or so while, while you were here working with us at Occupier at the really early stages when we were, when we were just getting our product off the ground. Um, what are some of the things that you've learned about yourself or about what it's like to start a company and what are some of the challenges that you face? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's a really good question. So I guess uh, something I learned about myself is to always be uh, patient with myself, especially if you're starting a business uh, in the sense that, you know, it takes longer for the things that you want to come to fruition. Uh, if you're a business owner, sometimes you think that I'm going to start a business and I'm going to start selling tomorrow. And then next week, I'm going to be really successful. But it just takes a while for a go-to-market, for example, to be put in motion, get in touch with people, uh, to get the correct uh, way to you know, get in front of uh, customers and put them through a deal process. So that's been one thing I learned uh, about myself, which is uh, just be patient. And everybody really talks more about the first day a company started and the day it exits, but nobody really talks about you know, the, the stuff that happens in the middle, which is uh, very difficult to, uh, to deal with. And there's a book that was written about it called The Messy Middle, which I, I highly recommend. But that's also one thing I've learned, which is uh, as a business founder, you also have to have this long-term perspective and just understand that you're going to come across bumps uh, you know, in the road as an entrepreneur. Some of them will make you doubt yourself that, you know, do I even know what, what I'm uh, uh, trying to do because of how many rejections you get from either VCs or, you know, prospects that you are trying to, you know, go after. And it's your job to keep motivating your team because you get to this point where everybody starts off on day one, they're all excited, but as things are, or results are not coming in, their level of excitement just, you know, dips and, it's your job to make sure that everybody still sees that the vision is excited because if they're not, then that will cause the death of your company. Yep. The trough of sorrow as it's called. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, super, uh, impressed with what you've been able to build so far. How long have you been working on Billy? Since you've been working on Billy. Yeah. We've been working on it for 16 months, uh, from, the time we said, hey, we want to uh, work on insurance and we started writing code uh, for it. We launched the insurance agency this April and we work with uh, 48 companies uh, now that have purchased uh, insurance from us. And on the software side, we've got 27 large uh, general contractors that use uh, Billy. We count uh, four of the largest 100 uh, contractors in the U.S. as uh, our customers as well, including uh, one that's using Billy to build uh, the U.S. first uh, high-speed rail from Orlando to uh, Miami. So every contractor that's working on that project, including people who are manufacturing components, they all have to prove that they have insurance through Billy. Oh, that's super cool. That's awesome, man. Um, super insightful stuff. Um, I think for everybody listening who, you know, has some sort of, you know, ancillary uh knowledge of why insurance is important this has been super helpful um and anything we can do to help you guys out um 
obviously you know how to find us, but let's, uh, let's wrap this thing up with our rapid fire questions. Um, this is a typical segment that we do here and I'm going to hit you with some questions that could be weird or they could be insightful, make you think a little bit, uh, but give yourself a minute to answer each one of them. And question number one is Nyasha, what is your favorite ice cream topping? Oh gosh, uh, <laughs> hard uh, hard coated, coated chocolate. So many to choose from. Where... <laughs> yeah, when you go to an ice cream store and you just ask them to dip like uh, the oh the soft serve into the... like yeah yeah into like chocolate and then hardens. That's that's my favorite. That's that's a can't miss. I can't miss. Um, question two: You might already play an instrument, but if you could play any instrument, what would it be? I've always wanted to play the ukulele, um, only because it's it's uh, it seems really cool and sounds really uh, great as well. Yeah, good vibes. Question three: You're still a pretty young man, but what advice would you give your younger self? I mean, you came to the U.S. at 17, started ripping out seats at Yankee Stadium. You know, think about your younger self. What would you what would you tell that guy? Uh, be patient with yourself and most of the things that you worry about will never actually happen. <laughs> True. Stoicism. Um, what <laughs> is something that you like to do out, outside of work? Uh, so uh, here at Billy, we have something called Billy Day. We only work uh, four days a week. So every Thursday, everybody can take time off to do whatever they want. And my favorite thing to do on Billy Days is uh, go out and uh, you know, exercise my privileges as an American airman. So I like uh, flying airplanes. Um, it's it's like my version of yoga. Uh, you're just uh, focused on flying the plane and nothing else. So that's my favorite thing to do, which is uh, fly uh, different kinds of uh, aircraft. Cool. Yeah, I got to get up in the air with you at some point. <laughs> yeah, we should do another podcast in, in the air. Uh, you can with do that. Up in the air with... Uh, yeah, fully occupied airplane. Yeah, up in the air. I like it. <laughs> All right, yeah. Ash, it's, it's been great having you on the show. Who, who do you think, uh, if you think through your mental Rolodex, who are some people that you think you could uh, introduce us to that you think would be great guests on the show? That's a really good question. I think uh, uh, Amir from a company called uh, Tough Leaf, they essentially help uh, large companies select what we call minority women uh business enterprises or black enterprises, MWBs, to get uh, opportunities to work with uh, on government contracts. I think it would be really interesting to to talk to and what they're trying to build to make government contracting uh, very equitable, uh, which I think there are things that apply also to commercial uh, real estate, for example. Um, I also think you should uh, talk to uh, Zach Ahrens from uh, Metaprop and just his insights into uh, PropTech, uh, for example. Um, yeah, those are the two I could think of for, for now. Cool. Well, we will hit you up for those intros, although I know Zach uh, personally as well. But Niasha, thanks. This has been great. Thanks for joining the show. Wish you luck and let's stay in touch. You got it. We'll talk soon. All right.